Hello and good morning. I hope everybody is doing well. We're here this morning and we're going to look at a new book in the Bible today and, and start going through a new book and that is to go through the book of Zechariah and to allow God to speak to us through um, the prophet Zechariah and what he shared to the Israelites and to Judah. If you would join me in prayer, I want to open up in prayer and allow God to continue to speak to us this morning. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we look to you this morning, I ask that you continue to speak to our hearts and during this time, during these days of being sheltered in and looking for whatever tomorrow brings, or hanging on to glimmers of hope, I ask that you continue to speak to our hearts, that your word penetrates deep into our hearts and speaks to us of where we're at as individuals, where we're at as churches, as a nation, in regards to our lives. And are we at a place where we're truly seeking you and seeking your desires? We do give you praise and glory this morning. You are great and our awesome God. We love you. We are gracious to you. We thank you for the many blessings that each and every one of us have. You bless us beyond all measure and your hand is upon our lives in so many different ways. We lift up to you our brothers and sisters who are hurting, our, our loved ones, our family, who are dealing with physical ailments. We ask, Heavenly Father, that you touch them this morning and give them peace in their hearts. Give them a sense of peace where they know that you are in control and that your hand is with them. And be with those that are recovering from surgeries and other medical procedures and that you continue to heal their bodies and that you continue to be with them during this time as well. We come before you, Heavenly Father, as a people in need of your forgiveness, in need of your cleansing, in need of your righteousness. And so we ask that you pour all of those things out into our lives this morning as we come before you. Be with us as we look to your word today, as we look to the words of Zechariah, and I ask you to speak to our hearts, speak to our minds as you always do. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I do thank you for joining us this morning. Uh, as I shared, we're going to look at Zechariah. We're going to start with Zechariah chapter 1. And I'm going to read the whole first chapter of Zechariah, and then we're going to allow God's Word to speak to us through Zechariah. And so I do need someone, if you could give me a thumbs up or a wave or something, if you can hear me. I want to make sure that my, my audio is on and that you can hear me okay. Okay. I'm getting a thumbs up, so I do know that people can hear me. Okay. So I'm going to turn my volume up. Just double check. Hang on. It's going to mess with the image. I'm going to turn my volume way up. That way you can hear me better if you need to. So we are going to look at Zechariah. As I said, I'm going to read through Zechariah chapter 1. So hopefully the volume's a little bit better. God's Word says, In the eighth month of the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, son of Berechiah, the son of Iddo. The Lord was very angry with your forefathers. Therefore, tell the people, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Return to me, declares the Lord Almighty, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. Do not be like your forefathers to whom 
the earlier prophets proclaim, this is what the Lord Almighty says, turn from your evil ways and your evil practices, that they would not listen or pay attention to me, declares the Lord. Where are your forefathers now and the prophets? Do they live forever? But did not my words and my decrees, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, overtake your forefathers? Then they repented and said, the Lord Almighty has done to us what our ways and practices deserve, just as he determined to do. On the 24th day of the 11th month, the month of Shabbat, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, son of Berechiah, the son of Idu. During the night I had, I had a vision, and there before me was a man riding a red horse. He was standing among the myrtle trees in a ravine. Behind him were red, brown, and white horses. I asked, What are these, my Lord? And the angel who was talking with me answered, I will show you what they are. Then the man standing among the myrtle trees ex explained, They are the ones the Lord has sent to go throughout the earth. And they reported to the angel of the Lord who was standing among the myrtle trees, We have gone throughout the earth and found the whole world at rest and in peace. And then the angel of the Lord said, oh, Lord Almighty, how long will you withhold mercy from Jerusalem? and from the towns of Judah, which have been angry with, the, with these seventy years. So the Lord spoke kind and comforting words to the angels who talked with me. Then the angel who was speaking to me said, Proclaim this word, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I am very jealous for Jerusalem and Zion, but I am very angry with the nations that feel secure. I was only a little angry, but they added to the calamity. Therefore this is what the Lord says, I will return to Jerusalem with mercy, and there my house will be rebuilt, and the measuring line will be stretched over Jerusalem, declares the Lord Almighty. Proclaim further, this is what the Lord Almighty says, My towns will again overflow with prosperity, and the Lord will again comfort Zion and choose Jerusalem. Then I looked up, and there before me were four horns. I asked the angel who was speaking to me, What are these? He answered, These are the horns that scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. Then the Lord showed me four craftsmen, and I asked, What are these coming to do? And he answered, These are the horns that scattered Judah so that no one could raise his head, but the craftsmen have come to terrify them and throw down these horns of the nations who lifted up their horns against the land of Judah to scatter its people. Wow. Uh, a very long passage of Scripture, uh, 21 verses. But hopefully as we look at these verses this morning, uh, we can get some inclination about what God wants to say to us. Uh, by taking the words that Zechariah declared to the Israelites through this prophecy. Uh, so as we begin going through this, I do want to start a little bit, uh, talk about uh, Zechariah and talk about the time when Zechariah was written and give ourselves a little bit of background, and that way we have a better understanding as we go through this chapter of what God's saying to us. Uh, so Zechariah was a prophet. He was uh, during the time after the Israelites had returned from exile and there are 70 years of captivity in Babylon and throughout the Bible you can take a lot of major events the captivity in Babylon uh, Egypt uh, all of those kinds of events and put some time frames to it and when we begin to understand where a book sits in regards to those major events then we can start to get a little bit of a better understanding of those books and so we have Zechariah uh, he was in the same time frame as an Ezra and Nehemiah who were talking about when the Israelites returned from their captivity in Babylon. 
after their 70 years in Babylon. And so Zechariah begins to give us a picture of what things were like when they returned from Babylon. Uh, the name Zechariah itself is key for us. The name Zechariah means Yahweh remembers. It means for us God remembers. And so if we could start looking at the book of Zechariah and understand, as we read through this, God remembers. God remembers the Israelites. God remembers the people of Judah as they return back home. And God remembers you and God remembers me. And so when we hear that name Zechariah, we have to remember God remembers. And if you were a teenager uh, back in that day, 16, 17 years old, and you went with the Israelites into captivity into the land of Babylon, maybe your name was Daniel or Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, the people that we read about in the beginning of the book of Daniel, they went into captivity as young, as, as young teenagers, as teenagers going into the land of capt captivity. Here we are 70 years later. So even if you went into captivity at the age of 16, here we are, you're 86 years old, if you're even still living, and returning back to Judah, if you would even decide to come back to Judah. And so during that whole time period of 70 years in captivity, you may have been at a place where you cried out the words from Psalms and said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Or maybe shared words that say, you, God, are my God, earnestly I seek you, I thirst for you, my whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. And the reality was God never forsakes his people. God never forsook the people of Israel. His love and his mercy were there for them, yet they were in a land because of their own doing. And God never forsakes us as well. He never leaves us in a dry and thirsty land. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. And so, although they were in a dry and distant land, in a faraway land, God still remembered them. God still brought them back home. And that's where we start with the book of Zechariah and understand some of the things that Zechariah wanted to say to them. And so that's where I'm going to dig in. I am going to pull out three points uh, and... The first place I really want to start is to talk about truthful repentance. And I don't know where you're at in your relationship with God. And right now, this may be non-existent for you. And there's no relationship with God at all. Uh, maybe you're going through turbulent times or troubled times, and you're struggling with your relationship with God. Uh, maybe you're like the prodigal son that we read about in the parable that Jesus shares, and like the prodigal son... You're living in a distant land, and you're enjoying wild living. Um, maybe something's going on in your life right now that you and God just aren't on speaking terms, that you're struggling with your relationship with God because of some event that is occurring in your life, and so right now you're not on speaking terms with God. And when we're off on our own, and I've been there, usually I'm taking this kind of an approach. I'm off on my own, and I'm waiting for God to come and meet my terms. And so I'm waiting for God to come over and say, it's okay, Ralph. I know where you're at. I understand what's going on. I love you. I care about you. And, and I'm sitting there waiting for that kind of response when I'm off in my own distance, distant land. And I'm sort of like the little two-year-old 
who is having a little bit of a temper tantrum, and I'm, I just got done using a magic marker, and I wrote all over the hallway wall with my magic marker, and, I, and now I'm hiding behind the couch, and I'm waiting for Mommy and Daddy to come over and to coddle me and to say, oh, it's okay, come on out, everything's going to be okay. Even though I know that writing all over the hallway wall with that marker was wrong. And that's the place where we get with God. We're, we're in this dry and distant and parched land, and we're waiting for mommy or daddy to come over and coddle us and to sort of love on us. And we're waiting for God to come back and do the same thing. I mean, his love for us is great. And so we're waiting for him to come back. And so on, just on a side note, we have too many mommies and daddies today that are doing coddling and cooing with their children. Um, and in those situations, they really need to take a, a lesson from God on those. Uh, and see how God approaches us when we're in our own, own disobedience. Because God doesn't come cooing and cuddling when we're off in a distant land. He remembers us. He cares for us. He loves us. His grace and His mercy are there waiting for us. But the next step sits with us. And that is when we're willing to come back to God in truthful repentance. When we look at the Israelites... They were off in a distant land, 70 years in exile in the land of Babylon because of hundreds of years of disobedience. In Zechariah 1, 3, this is what God's word says, Therefore tell the people, this is what the Lord Almighty says, Return to me, declares the Lord Almighty, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. Truthful repentance was needed in their lives. God doesn't tell us to sit on a timeout chair for five minutes and then go back and get to your business. When we're off in a distant land and we're, we're estranged in our relationship with God, God is waiting for us to come back with truthful repentance. So if we jump right into Zechariah 1, verse 6, God's word says, Then they repented and said, The Lord Almighty has done to us what our ways and practices deserve, just as He determined to do. They're big words. They're big words. For us to come to a place in our lives that, this, that, that we can say, the Lord has done unto me what I deserve. It was my sin. It was my disobedience. It was my wayward ways. And I'm coming back to God in truthful repentance. If you don't think they repented, I want to give to you some words from Daniel chapter 6. This is one of the more beautiful prayers of repentance in the Bible. Sorry, in Daniel chapter 9. If you want to read through a chapter and understand a beautiful prayer, uh, open up your Bibles at some point and read through De Daniel chapter 9. This is while the, they were in the land of captivity before Zechariah was written. Zechariah is written when they returned from the 70 years of captivity. Here's the prayer of Daniel. And I'm going to pick out just a couple of words from a lot of verses in Daniel chapter 9. Verses 4 and 5. We have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. In verse 6. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets. Verse 8. We have sinned. Verse 9. We have rebelled. Verse 10. We have not obeyed. Verse 11. We transgressed. Verse 13. We haven't turned from our sins. Verse 14, we have not obeyed. Verse 15, we have sinned. Verse 16, our sins. Now there's truthful repentance. There is truthful repentance. 
when we can come to a place in our own hearts, look to God, and say, God, I have sinned. I have sinned and fallen short of your glory, and I need your forgiveness. And that's where we find the Israelites in the beginning of, of Zechariah. They had repented of their wicked ways, and now they are trusting in God to work in their lives. It's truthful repentance. Daniel reached out to God with repentance and a desire to see God forgive them and to see God to cleanse them. Romans 8.39 tells us that neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. When I'm running from God, when I'm disobedient from God, when I am doing things that I know that God does not desire, oh, I love the love of God. God's love for me. See, God loves me no matter who I am. And those words are not, not always fully true. God may love me, but he does not love where I am. And God's desire is when we are distant from God because of our own sinful ways and our own disobedience, to find ourselves in truthful repentance, coming back to God and saying, we have sinned, I have sinned, I have rebelled, I have not obeyed, I have transgressed, I have turned from my sins, I have not obeyed, I have sinned, my sins, and find myself in truthful repentance. God's Word says if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Repentance. And it's what God desires in all of our, all of our hearts. The path of righteousness begins with repentance. Restored relationship with God begins with repentance. Restored relationship with others begins with repentance. Forgiveness of sins on our part begins with repentance. And the decision of truthful repentance moves us into the next section where we want to talk about thorough restoration. Going back into Zechariah chapter 1, don't miss the message that is here. And as I go through the book of Zechariah, Zechariah gives us a lot of apocalyptic type language. He gives us a lot of allegory type language. Don't miss the, the picture and what God wants to say to us by getting caught up in that type of language. I am going to try and give it to you when I understand what it is. And then from there, I want us to be able to grab the message out of here, and especially in this section, to talk about thorough restoration. But with it, uh, you may have heard I was uh, reading, uh, there was a man on a red horse, and he was standing among the myrtle trees. Uh, behind him were red, brown, some versions say speckled, and white horses. Oh my, what are all these red horses and brown horses and white horses, and what are these myrtle trees? I want to give you some of my understanding. Uh, red horses are normally in the Bible. They stand for war and death some kind of, of battle going on. So for red horses with war and death. If you want to go to white horses, white horses normally stand for vengeance and triumph. If you think about a victory parade, you would be riding on a, a white horse in a victory parade. So for vengeance and triumph. And the brown or speckled horses was a mix of in-between. And so you get a combination of both things, of, of war and death and vengeance and triumph. The myrtle trees uh, were a symbol for them, that stood for very peaceful, uh, beautiful times, hopeful times, peaceful times. Uh, so that's what we have with the, uh, the myrtle trees. But I don't want us to get caught up in the, uh, the allegories that are given here by Zechariah. 
but us to focus on the message that he has for us. So if we get down to Zechariah chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, this is what the Lord says. I will return to Jerusalem with mercy, and there my house will be rebuilt. And the measuring line will be stretched out over Jerusalem, declares the Lord Almighty. Proclaim further. This is what the Lord Almighty says. My towns again will again overflow with prosperity. And the Lord will again comfort Zion and choose, choose Jerusalem. There's the restoration that I'm talking about. Do you see that in God's word? That restoration comes about after their repentance brought them back to God. God doesn't forget about them. And he doesn't forget about us either. Following their truthful repentance was bringing them into this thorough restoration. Does restoration mean like it would be as it was before? No. As I even shared last week, I don't always want restoration to take me back to the way things were before. I don't want to go back to the way or to the place where I might have been tempted with sin and been led off into a sinful way. I don't want to go back to the old I want to go to the new. And that's the restoration that God brings about. What he brings about is better than what was there before. His towns will again overflow with prosperity. And God will do that great work in each of our lives as well. God will continue to take us forwards and not backwards with his restoration. When we go through the Old Testament and the New Testament, I want to share some of the words about restoration. These are words that should strike with all of our hearts. The prophet Hosea tells us that God will bind up our wounds. The prophet Isaiah talks of a double portion and our rejoicing. Jeremiah talks of us being healed and prospering. The apostle John says we will overcome the world and have victory. Jesus promises us rest. King David talks about restored joy. The prophet Joel he talks about bringing the promise of God's restoring. Peter's sermon in the, in the book of Acts tells of a time of refreshing. The 23rd Psalm ends with, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Revelation chapter 21 verse 4, He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. There are all promises of restoration that rest upon our lives. And the ultimate, the ultimate thorough restoration we find in the reality that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. There is the ultimate thorough restoration that our belief in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior opens up the door for an eternal relationship with Him and a home in heaven one day and having that hope in our hearts that we will, have, we will enjoy heaven one day with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's the ultimate thorough restoration that God gives us. In the story of the prodigal son, one of those real familiar stories from the New Testament where Jesus is talking about the son who ran away, lived in wild living, in a pig slot, and he decides that I'm going to come back home in repentance if you think truthful repentance, he's coming back home, and he's getting home. And what happens? Dad runs out to him. Dad runs down the road, grabs his son, throws his arms around him. And, he's, and he send, sends the servants, and he says, go get a robe. Throw a robe on him. Put sandals on his feet. Put rings on his finger. 
my son was lost and now he's found he was dead but now he's alive there's thorough restoration and jesus brings us out in that story that that when we come home to god with truthful repentance there's thorough restoration where we're, we're brought back into that deep and meaningful relationship with god and when the israelites first came to the jordan river they didn't want to cross over god's promised land for them was on the other side of that river and they didn't want to go so they spent the next 40 years wandering around in a circle in the desert and then they finally got to that point that they got to the jordan river do you know the second time they almost did not go over again the second time they almost didn't go, go over and joshua led them across that river to the promised land to the place where god wanted them to be Sometimes that's where we're at. God's bringing us around in a circle. We get to that point where God's calling out into our hearts to come into that relationship with Him, and we stop, and we don't want to go, and we have to circle around in the desert again, and we come to the same spot again. We stop, and sometimes we say no, and we go around in the desert again. God wants us to come to Him in truthful repentance, cross over that Jordan River into a land flowing with milk and honey, is the way the Bible describes the promised land. And that's where God's taking us in our relationship with Him. When we choose to come in truthful repentance, and then there's thorough restoration in our lives where He takes us and makes us into who He wants us to be. Two stories in the Old Testament. I'm not going to give you the stories, but I want to give you the result of the two stories in the Old Testament. Story number one, rich young ruler, he comes to Jesus. Now, what do I need to do to have eternal life? And in the end of the story, he went away sad. Second story, I talked about the prodigal son. He went off, had his way of wild living, and knew in his heart that he needed to come back home in repentance. Comes back home in repentance, and what happens? He gets a party thrown for him. One person went away sad, the other person gets a party. Both of them, based on their own decisions, one, one had no desire to give up everything and follow Jesus Christ and the other one knew with truthful repentance I can come back and have thorough restoration in my father's house the decision of truthful repentance it leads to thorough restoration and I want to get to a third point that we have here in Zechariah chapter 1 and that's in trusting God's hand trusting ret retribution so we go from truthful repentance we have thorough restoration, and then we leave it in the hand of God for trusting His retribution. We get to the, right at the last couple verses of Zechariah chapter 1. We have this vision of the four horns. And so you understand what the horns are in the Bible. Whenever you read about a horn in the Bible, it usually means a place of power, and it's usually in reference to a king or to kingdoms. And so we have these horns that are given to us, these four horns, and referring to the strength of a king or a kingdom. Now, there's a lot of different interpretations on who these four horns are. Some people look at this as a prophecy of something going forward and some kingdoms that were yet to come. And they talk about Rome and some other kingdoms as well. Uh, there's some a different understanding as well that they were four kingdoms from the past, from when Zechariah was written writing. And they talked about kingdoms that already were there. I tend to lean on the second one, and mostly because of verse 19, that say, these, horn, these are the horns that scattered. 
So if these are the horns that scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem, then they must have been kingdoms at that place, at that time. And so if you go to Ezekiel 25, you'll see a reference to the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Edomites, and the Philistines. I'll say those four again for you. The Ammonites, Moabites, Edomites, and the Philistines. I believe the four horns that are here reference back to those four kingdoms that are also seen in Ezekiel chapter 25. Then you add the four craftsmen. Well, what are craftsmen? Uh, we know what craftsmen are today. Uh, people that work with metal, people that build things, people that might work with cars, uh, a painter, a carpenter, uh, an electrician, a plumber. It, it, your, your, your trades type people are considered craftsmen. Uh, so if when we read about the craftsmen, they're the type of people that God was talking about. And so he was talking about that he would bring uh, terror into the hearts of these kings and these kingdoms because of something that a craftsman would do. A craftsman would be someone like a Nehemiah who was a cupbearer to the king who came back to Judah and helped rebuild the wall around Jerusalem and helped rebuild that wall and strengthen that wall. And so there could be a craftsman who brought terror into the hearts of the other kings and kingdoms because now Jerusalem was refortified with a wall. And so you have that kind of analogy. Again, I don't want us to get caught up in um, all of these allegories and, and, and miss the big picture for us. And the big picture in this passage is where it was God's hand was going to bring about the retribution. And it did not have to be in the hands of the people of Judah. There was no reason for Judah, now that they had returned back home, they're back living in Jerusalem, they're back living in their land, to start scratching their head and have a little powwow and say, how in the world can we get back at Babylon? How can we punish them for what they did to me? How can we make them really, really pay for how they hurt us in the past? That was not in their hand. It was not what God wanted them to do. In our lives, we get all fired all up and we go off on the attack on anyone and someone that God may have used to point out our own sinful con condition. And so we go out on this great attack. Retribution is God's business. It's not our business. And I know in many of our lives that the way someone treated us in the past has caused us hurt. I know for some it has caused deep emotional pain. And for some has even caused physical pain. I know for others it has brought terrible dreams and nightmares and many other problems. But I go back and I ask the question, now as a child of God, now as someone who professes the name of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, is today your day of vengeance? Now that Jesus Christ has rescued you from your sin and given you abundant and an eternal life, is now the day to plot and destroy someone who you think stands, stands against you. I want to use an old movie reference for you, and some of, some of you may remember the movie Trading Places with Dan Aykroyd and Eddie Murphy. And towards the end of the movie, Dan Aykroyd was told it was the Dukes when he's choking Eddie Murphy, and Eddie Murphy's going, it's the Dukes, it was the Dukes, it was the Dukes. And they flash to the next scene, and you have Dan Aykroyd sitting on the floor, Lewis Winthorpe III sitting on the floor cleaning his shotgun plotting on how he's going to take revenge and 
for the way that their lives had been upset. And Eddie Murphy says this line. He says, you know, you can't just go around and shoot people in the kneecaps with a double-barreled shotgun. You know, you just can't go around and shoot people in the kneecaps with a double-barreled shotgun. For some reason, for some reason, Christians love to go around and shoot other people in the kneecaps with a double-barreled shotgun. And God says, no, no, no. He said to the Israelites, to the people of Judah, he says, I'm going to take care of this. I'm going to take care of this retribution. If I choose to use your hand to do so, I will do so. But I'm going to take care of this. And, and retribution belongs in the hands of God. Yeah, well, Ralph, you don't know what they did to me. Yeah, I, I know what they did. I know what people have done in my past, in your past, in other people's past. And vengeance does not lie in our hands. And through the prophet Zechariah, God makes it clear to the Israelites, and I believe he's making it clear to us, that retribution belongs in God's hand. We need to trust God's retribution for our past. Don't live there. Don't go back there. It's God's business. Romans 12.9 tells us, Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. If someone has wronged you, forgive them. And we move on. So what do we do with all of this? Repentance. Our relationship with God has one of the keys in it, and that is our repentance. Will we repent of anything that is wrong in our past, any disobedience, any sin, and repent and come before the Lord? Will we continue to confess our sins before the Lord and to trust in His forgiveness in our lives? And it's followed with that restoration. We allow following repentance for God to restore us and God to pour back into our lives and to lift us up and to place our feet on the solid rock, to be able to stand on a firm foundation and watch the restoration of God work in our lives where He heals us from the inside out. He washes us and we'll be white as snow. God promises that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. That's the good work that God is doing in our lives. He's restoring us. And retribution. Always leave this in the hands of God. Our sins are our past. We need to leave them in the past. Leave that mess to God to handle. Leave that there for him to take care of. We need to keep trusting God. Keep learning from the words of Zechariah. I'm going to close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the great work that you've done in each of our lives and how you continue to work in our lives. I thank you for the words of Zechariah, the prophecy that he brought forth for the Israelites, for the people of Judah, in declaring your word to them, teaching us about their repentance and their willingness to repent, to turn to you, your promise of restoration in their lives, your promise that you would handle retribution for the kingdoms that have come against them. Do these kinds of works in our lives as well, Lord. Take this word, put it in our hearts, apply it to our hearts, Lord. We love you and we thank you for the great work that you continue to do in us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. God be with you. May he continue to strengthen you. May he continue to keep you safe with a hedge of protection around you. Look forward to being with you again. God bless. Have a great day.